Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. gorgeous people and welcome to the yes means yes show where the personal and the political get intimate i'm your host jacqueline friedman and every other week i'm joined by a couple of smart and provocative guests to discuss sex sexuality and or sex related current events and then we put our principles into practice with a real world advice question and regular listeners will notice i changed that intro a little because we have two fabulous guests this week. Uh, we have Erin Matson, who's an organizer and a writer committed to expanding abortion rights. She will not rest until women are equal under the law and treated with dignity in society, which makes her very welcome here. And we have Pamela Merritt, who is also an activist and writer committed to empowering individuals and communities through reproductive justice. And we'll talk about the difference between abortion rights and reproductive justice don't you worry. Um, a proud Midwesterner, Merritt is dedicated to protecting and expanding access to the full spectrum of reproductive health care. And but together, they are cooking up something crazy exciting called ReproAction. Welcome, Pamela and Erin. Thank you for having us. Uh, thank you for being amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so... I got your email about ReproAction in July, and my heart, like, skipped a beat. <laughs> uh, and I'll summarize what I think ReproAction is, and then you can correct me and expand. So basically, the idea is direct action for abortion rights and reproductive justice. Like, no more playing backroom politics and asking nicely. Um, how am I doing? Yeah, you're doing great, Jacqueline. I mean, that's exactly it. We are sick and tired of a movement that is stuck in a reactive sense, a movement that is celebrating compromise that are, that are actually losses as victories. And we want to hold everyone accountable using bold action. So we're talking about folks on both sides of the aisle are part of the problem. And it's time to start being honest about that and changing the dynamic. Yeehaw. So <laughs> I kind of want to dive into it and then can we circle back around and talk about ideas and definitions? Like the number one question I want to ask you is like, 
Tell me what kind of stuff you've got planned. I know that some of it probably, A, you're still cooking up, and B, you don't want to give away your whole hand before you roll it out. But what can you tell us about what you mean when you say direct action? That's a great question. So direct action is, um, we, we've seen it, you've seen it, and the listeners have seen it um, for the last year, which is when people take to the streets or take a direct action, um, sometimes civil disobedience, sometimes protest, but something that is a physical action. Um, and the direct part of that is that you are directing that action at um, the power structure or individuals that you want to influence and you want to be heard by. So this last year has been full of direct action um, in the news and in my home city of St. Louis, where you've seen people who have sat in, you're seeing people who have uh, gone in and done protest marches. Um, when we were at Netroots, we saw amazing direct action when Black Lives Matter protesters stood up um, and demanded that um, Bernie Sanders uh, say, say her name. So, um, when we talk about direct action, we're coming from a long history, um, as old as this nation, but particularly as old as as um, as people being subject to power um, of, of people who have have decided to um, to speak their truth and more importantly to hold those who are in a position to influence um, their lives accountable. Amazing. And why do you think that sort of there's there's been so little recent direct action around abortion rights? Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've seen and that we're frustrated with and we're excited to see many activists are now contacting us, their frustrations with as well, is a near total co-optation of the reproductive health and rights movements by the Democratic Party. And unfortunately, we've seen Folks are getting caught in a cycle of what we call electionitis, or they've been infected by this idea that the most important thing that we must do and the only thing that we must do, and that's the really important key is that it's the only, it's where kind of the action stops, is to defeat the guy who says that rape is a blessing because then you get a baby. Now, we understand that that's an important goal to make sure that bigots are out of office, that they're not reelected to office. But unfortunately, we've been sold this message of incredibly low expectations that the best we can hope for is to elect Democrats. We need a heck of a lot more than that. We need full abortion funding. We need to end the reproductive health care crisis. We need to open new clinics, not prevent clinic closures, but open new clinics. And so we think that a lot of, of the problem that ails us is we've just settled on on low expectations and it's time to ask for more amazing yeah i mean because you see so much of the rhetoric is about you know abortion should be rare and also like the plant when the recent vote which fortunately failed in the senate to defund planned parenthood you know that the defenders are saying like well abortion isn't most of what planned parenthood does or you know the federal funding doesn't actually go to abortion already anyway like which does all like it is all playing defense. It really is. And that hasn't worked. 
that has been the strategy forever and it simply has not worked. All you have to do is pull up Guttmacher and look at the rollout of restrictions to see that trying to position abortion as anything other than healthcare and trying to act as if it is a shameful thing hasn't been rewarded by the opposition and it simply won't ever be rewarded by the opposition and and more importantly it's wrong so it's not only a bad strategy um, but it's just absolutely the wrong thing to do particularly when from organizations and individuals who profess to care deeply about providing access to the full range of reproductive health care and then turn around and act like um, shaming the abortion and shaming women who seek abortion is somehow going to be a beneficial measure. Simply hasn't been working, won't work, and we need to do something different. Do you think those people are not sincere when they say they care or that they're just misguided about what they think will work? I'm sure if you if you had... 20 people in a room, you'd have some who are not sincere and you'd have other people who simply have forgotten that the way we got every single right we have is from declaring it and and holding it and then defending it. So I think that there is definitely a little bit of those who forget history are doomed to repeat it. And, you know, I was born exactly one month after Roe. So, you know, in my viewpoint i i'm a history buff and i absolutely don't think that women won um abortion rights either at the state level or um ultimately when when roe happened by being passive and by not being proactive and in standing up and demanding it so i think it's a little bit of both. There, there are definitely people who are not passionate about abortion, and some of that is because they bought into years and years and years of of in, inaccurate framing that it's dangerous to be passionate about abortion, and they also are subject to years and decades of shaming, um, both from from the left and from the right on on abortion so they they're speaking what they've been the the language they've been taught right yeah and i think i think another piece that you know we have there are people who you know may be operating in good faith and are misguided there may also be some people who are simply just working toward absolutely different goals you know for too long in this movement abortion and birth control or abortion and pap smears have been pitted against each other as if we can have one but not the other. And unfortunately, the result of that is that abortion continues to get the boot over and over and over again. So you see, like the Senate vote to defund Planned Parenthood was just a nightmare because on the right, you had folks like Senator Dan Coats comparing abortion to slavery and not getting called out for that. And, you know, other people on the right giving credence to these videos produced by an organization with links to terrorism. You know, Troy Newman is one of the founders of the group. And Troy Newman is the head of Operation Rescue. And he is called the murder of abortion providers justifiable. So there's that on the right. But on the left, there's this lack of accountability piece. You know, you had Senator Richard Blumenthal, who's many of the liberal press right now are applauding as 
giving an impassioned speech in defense of Planned Parenthood, he stood up there and said that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. You know, one in three women in this country have an abortion. That means they're not rare. They're certainly not doing anything wrong, and we need to stop this shaming and stigmatizing language. And I think that's this dynamic that you see played out, is you had person after senator after senator after senator saying, you know, I stand with Planned Parenthood and, oh, there's no federal funding for abortion. You know, we should stop apologizing. We need to stop apologizing and embracing this idea that the only way that we can give people access to some reproductive health care is to deny access to other forms of reproductive health care. Can you give me more? Like, what are you referring to when you're saying playing those two issues off each other? Can you give me details? Sure. Like, like Senator Elizabeth Warren is another great example of this. So yesterday, you know, I want to ask you about her because oh yeah, listeners won't know, but Aaron and I sat through her speech at Netroots together, in which she, for the second year running, didn't mention abortion at all. Oh yeah. So uh, so Repro Action led an effort at Netroots, actually, which is related back to this Planned Parenthood piece. We led an effort at Netroots. We collected an open letter signatures to Elizabeth Warren regarding the marginalization of reproductive rights in her speech at Netroots. It's a really big deal when a figurehead, the figurehead for the progressive movement, lays out over the course of almost 20 minutes for two years in a row what it means to be a progressive and excludes abortion, particularly when reproductive rights activists are so much, and reproductive justice activists as well, are so much of the base of the progressive movement. It's like insulting that we're supposed to bring in the votes when we're talked in so mu- about so much in elections. And then let's move forward and please applaud for a policy agenda that doesn't include us or is only implicitly includes us. But actually, we needled Senator Warren. And it just so happens that shortly after she'd been needled by us, she steps on the Senate floor a few weeks later and delivered one of the most impassioned defenses of Planned Parenthood and legal abortion on the floor. Um, but, however, that said, and this is an example, again, of where we've still got a massive work to do as a movement, she then tweeted out uh, a pretty graphic that, you know, had the stand with Planned Parenthood hashtag saying that there's no federal funding for abortion, that there hasn't been federal funding right. for over years. Why are we celebrating that? Right. Why are we holding that up as a defense? We need to eradicate that stuff now. Amen. Now, okay, now I want to go deep because I we've already used, even in the 10, 15 minutes we've been talking, the term abortion rights, the term reproductive rights, and the term reproductive justice. Can you break down for listeners who may be a little confused why those aren't interchangeable terms and what they each mean? Sure, I can certainly take a stab at it. Okay. So um, I am a reproductive justice activist. Um because I, because I believe very firmly that we have to apply intersectionality to our work. Um, when I think about the years that I worked um, at an abortion provider, and we, you know, I met women who were walking through the doors. These women were living intersectional lives. So I am, I am dedicated, and Reproaction is dedicated and built on a foundation of. Um, you know, advocating on behalf of a woman's right 
uh, and people's right to raise their families in environments that are free of violence and oppression to parent or to not parent. Um, and, and within that come all of the various things that intersect in a woman's life. Um, so when we talk about violence and oppression, we're talking about police violence. We might be talking about um, violence from the state. We might be talking about the environment, um, whether or not you have the right to vote for people who are deciding uh, things for you. Um, all of the very complex things that intersect in, in a woman's life. And when we talk about whether you're a reproductive health advocate, you're a reproductive health advocate and all of the things that fall under that. So um, that's very focused in, in my personal opinion, somewhat siloed as with abortion rights, which is, again, somewhat siloed and not necessarily taking into effect um, what a woman might have to go through in her life um, to access that care. And as it specifically applies to organizations or individuals who are activists, I think it's very important that, you know, in my home state of Missouri, we have a 72-hour waiting period. Women experience that differently based upon their lives. So if you are a poor woman um, who's a single mother, then that 72 hours is going to be a case study in how your various um, complexity of your life impacts your ability to access abortion. If you are somebody who has means... Can you get a little more granular than that? Like, can we, for example, or like, you know, let's talk about what that means for like... Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So in Missouri has one abortion provider. It's in St. Louis, which for people who aren't familiar with... um, and there's actually um, the Columbia Health Center has just now begun providing abortion. So um, I need to I have to remember that sometimes we have two um, areas of the state where somebody can access abortion in Missouri. And for most people who aren't familiar with Missouri, St. Louis is on the border with Illinois. Um, and then on the whole other side of the state is Kansas City, which is on the border with Kansas. So there's an entire state in between. And for most women in Missouri, um, accessing abortion with a 72-hour wait means four-hour drives. It means taking time off of work. It means securing health care or, or child care for your children. It might um, mean losing losing income because you might not be able to take a sick day depending on how you're employed and then the cost of accessing that care as most of us are aware increases as you delay your access to an abortion so each week that you add on to it is adding on additional cost and that's the goal of those people who put these restrictions up but how you experience that is very different if you're um, if you're an upper middle class person and you can't take time off of work you might be able to go to chicago or you might be able to get to illinois you you have options and you, or have you might be able to take unpaid leave and that would be you can absorb that exactly and just so to have- be clear a 72 hour wait me just for listeners if they're confused means that someone has to go twice they have to go and request the abortion and then they have to i, I don't know if missouri is a, an ultrasound state um 
in some states that have a waiting period, you have to like see the ultrasound and contemplate mm-hmm. whether you really want to have an abortion. But either way, you're supposed to go home and think about what you want to do as yeah. though you haven't thought about it already. So the f- t- two trips is a lot more onerous if you have fewer resources. Yeah. yeah. That I, I, I went to um, a wedding shower in Springfield, Missouri, and it took four hours to get there. It was a one hour wedding shower and then four hour drive back. And the entire time I was experiencing that travel, I thought to myself, imagine doing that twice in all of the things that you have to factor into um, being able to, to get that done just so that you know, there can be these additional hurdles because women apparently, according to the Missouri state legislature, are incapable of making a decision um, and need, a, you know, additional gender-based contemplative time. Um, so it, it, that all applies to um, to the different way that somebody might experience that 72-hour wait. I live in St. Louis, so I have the privilege of, of geography um, and and that means that I'm not going to have to take those drives. It's still a huge hurdle. But we need to acknowledge that for for many of the women in, in my world and poor women of color in St. Louis City, getting to the Planned Parenthood that is 30 minutes away can be an hour and a half bus ride, if not longer. And accessing the care can be the difference between being able to afford diapers for your children or not. And so as an organization, it's important that we acknowledge that that, that women face that total intersecting experience and that we are standing in solidarity with parts of, uh, with movements that help impact and improve um, those those other oppressions too. Excellent. Now, I have a slightly awkward question to ask the two of you, because your bio, Pam, says reproductive justice, but Erin, yours says that you're committed to abortion rights. Is that on purpose? Yeah, you know, actually it is. Um, And the reason is I'm smiling as I say it. Reproaction as an organization is firmly committed to proceeding as a reproductive justice organization. And those are our two bios right next to each other. And Pamela was a a good person and got her bio done before I got mine done. And I simply put abortion rights so that the word abortion was used as well. Um, Ah. But but I think, you know, we're both firmly committed both to the causes of abortion rights as well as reproductive justice. And um, it's great to name them both. Excellent. Okay. That is very clarifying. Um, okay. So we've laid out the problem. We laid out the need. When did you guys think, when, how did, how did you come up with the idea of doing reproaction? How long has this been cooking? And when did you turn to each other and be like, you know what we need to do? Yeah. So, um, so early this year and late last year, um, I conducted telephone interviews with a number of different activists, advocates, and thinkers around the country to ask these big questions of, you know, what is your take on where the movement sits today? What's an ideal change in state? How might we use direct action to bring this about? And let's be honest, one of the very first people I called was Pamela, even before it came to those formalized (laughs) interviews. And so we've been talking um, 
we've been talking for almost uh, getting close to a year now um, on and off about this. And um, earlier this year in in winter, early spring, there were two separate convening sessions that took place with some small groups that really fleshed out a vision for what might this look like. And so that's kind of the background. And and really the key themes to lift up, you know, the energy that's in the grassroots and that was also in those rooms is that people are electric and people are pumped. They are sick and tired of this movement being uh, reactive, of this movement apologizing for basic healthcare, of this movement shying away from sexuality, which is after all what we're fighting over. And um, Yeah, and I want to get into that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the bottom line is like people are just pumped and want to get forward and move. But yeah, on the point of sex, I mean, why shouldn't we be embracing sex? Sex is a wonderful thing, right? And so um, so I think there's a lot of positive energy, too, that we can bring into this fight. And I think sex is like a big part of why everyone tippy toes around the issue, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this is about who gets to have sex for pleasure, um, whether women get to have sex for pleasure. This is about um, sex as a privilege, which is um, how a lot of, uh, of those who oppose reproductive uh, rights are, are, are positioned to try to advocate for. So this is really about sex, sex shaming and sex control. And, you know, if you, if you just look at uh, the way that different uh, groups opposed to abortion rights and opposed to reproductive rights talk about women and talk about sex and talk about um, about pleasure. Anybody who's ever been online and and been on Twitter and had the trolls come at them is has been exposed to uh, just this bizarre anti-sex um, notion that somehow you know. I think somebody even sent me a tweet um, when we were doing a tweet chat on Friday and I got a personal tweet that basically was like, you know, this is about self-control and if you, you know, that's the best birth control. And I'm thinking that is the most anti-sex thing anybody's ever said to me. I'm right. you know, just, that's what a horrible way to live life. Um, but, but you, you get that incoming all the time. So I really do think this is, um, the, the sex is wrapped up in all of this. Also, no one requires self-control of cisgender men. Exactly. And, 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 you know, until women are just as free as men to have sex without consequences, and let's put those consequences in air quotes, where pregnancy is viewed as a punishment or an outgrowth of something that you did to yourself, and you must therefore be prepared to deal with these consequences. And it actually legs out far beyond reproductive health decisions and reproductive health care, you start looking in the workplace and this idea of, you know, well, you've got to figure out how to have work-life balance because you have, you got pregnant and there are consequences to that. So there's really this militant anti-sex ideology that very specifically targets women, but that also very much is detrimental to men and gender non-conforming people as well. Um, and, you know, we just frankly need to fight back with all the vigor that we have because it's ridiculous. We don't look at cisgender, heterosexual men and tell them to stop being sexual or else. 
Never. We never do that. Literally zero times. Right. And yep. we never suggest there should be consequences. No, okay. if anything, you know, it, it looks like there's just orchestrated um, effort to alleviate any consequences um, that, that cisgender men might experience. While women, uh, in, in, you know, are, the whole spectrum of consequences are, are at our feet. And I'm actually reminded of the the marriage equality debates when I was listening to um proponents of marriage bans talk about the that that having children is the goal of marriage and <laughs> and, and it was it was fascinating to me because I, I i it took my breath away how clearly they were stating just how off kilter they were on how they defined marriage but also I, I, there was a there was a, a bane of truth there. That's why they're wrong, but that's also really what they they want. Yes, and, and that that says so much. Yeah, yeah. We're we're fighting a movement that will never be satisfied until every single sex act produces a child. Do you think that's true? I do. I do definitely think that even the way we defend contraception is afraid of talking about sex. You know, I think about the Sandra Fluck brouhaha from several years ago when, you know, Rush Limbaugh went after her. And, you know, she's great. And I thought she responded beautifully. But um, she wanted to she was testifying before Congress about the need for birth control, like to treat disease, right? Like a friend mm-hmm. of hers who really ha- had a medical need for it. And, and that there's some, there's so much respectability politics going on here, right? Like that we can't even say birth control. We need it because we like sex and fuck you. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and, and just look at what happened with the HPV vaccine. Oh my Where, God. Yeah. I mean, if, if I've ever seen just the most bizarre pushback and this notion that somehow not not having the threat of ovarian cancer is going to result in this this behavior that quite honestly I thought shouldn't be shamed which is you know if if somebody is now vaccinated and and feels empowered to have sex why is that somehow this horrible thing? Right, why are we using the like, fear of death to prevent women from having sex? That's pretty, that's pretty sinister. Or actual death also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. agree. So let, give me a tour of your, your utopian future, right? When you win, when reproaction wins... Like what? What do you work with? I know that you wanted you forward motion, right? Stop playing defense. What does it look like? What does the world look like when when reproaction wins? I mean, it's like unicorns and kittens, but no, <laughs> but they're fucking. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think, you know, there are some very tangible, concrete things that we are working toward. We are working to eradicate a, a culture of shame around abortion and sex and reproductive health care, both culturally and politically, with a keen eye. There are a number of organizations that are working on that. We have a keen eye uh, looking at policymakers and people who have the power to make change in people's lives. We're, and we want to be a hammer and enforce that. So we're not, we're not here to give someone a sweet little tap on the shoulder and say, would you please stop shaming abortion? Um, you can expect some confrontational action from us on that point. Another thing that success might look like is, you know, we, we are very intentionally proceeding, knowing that we are going to be a left flank within our movements, that uh, we will often be standing alone. We don't expect to be doing this uh, work often in coalition and don't really see ourselves as getting assimilated into mainstream pro-choice Inc., right? right? But that said, when we are successful in doing this work, in centering the needs of people, in celebrating the affirmative role that access to abortion and reproductive health care and ensuring that people can raise their kids in a safe and healthy environment, when we center that first, and do that confrontational work with policymakers, I dare say that we can expect some of our mainstream friends in the pro-choice movement to start shifting to the left. And so that would also be something that we might expect to see in the future. Another big piece of it, though, is really just simply activism and the joy and the solidarity and the struggle of activism. We want to see a culture and and foster a culture of direct action within the entire movement. So yeah, are we going to be taking action as repro action? Hell yeah. And do we want to invite everyone listening who's interested to join us? Oh, absolutely. Oh, hell I'm yeah. I'm so fucking there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just but for the record, like I am, <laughs> I'm chomping at the bit. I'm like waiting for the bat signal. You and a lot of people, I, we have been, um, blown away by the the support and the enthusiasm, and we know that as as an organization that's going to be to the left, that 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 probably won't hold if we're doing this work right. There's going to be people who are like, "Whoa, wait a minute," and that's okay. Um, but right now, people are excited and they are enthusiastic and they are hopeful, and I think that speaks to. Um, just the incredible need for for a, a, shift, in, a shift in strategy um, that's been present for quite some time. People are tired of being defensive and they're tired of losing and they're tired of being told that they should be celebrating um, these losses. Right. Or these sort of Peric victories. Exactly. So yeah. I feel like I should have asked you this question before so that we could be like moving toward this up note, but are you worried about your safety? 
Good question. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I can only speak for for myself. So I am very I'm I'm very careful about my safety. I've been working within the reproductive justice world for a decade and have worn you know several afros as I like to say <laughs> With, within that world um, as part of this work there is there is always danger because the opposition as Aaron mentioned earlier there are terrorists out there who will stop at nothing right to silence um, people who speak the truth about abortion and if you guys and- start actually winning yeah, I'm a little nervous, right? Right. Well, I mean, I, I, I came to terms quite some time ago that I, I will spend my life and will will lay down my life um, to be true and consistent and in march with justice. And so, for me, I'm not reckless, and I certainly don't want to be reckless. I'm very careful with you know my privacy as much as you can be, but I'm also absolutely committed to to this movement and and to creating this a world that it, it is better for for myself, my family, and those people I care about. And you know, I, I come from a long line of people who sacrificed. Um, a great deal in order for me to be at this point in time and and, and have this opportunity. So I, I think I'm carrying on a legacy. It's it's a little bit like the family business, but I also know that everything I have right now as a black woman in this country is because people were willing to to put their safety on the line and and summon the courage to to do the right thing even when. Um, when you know violent terrorists would have rather silenced them and and you can't reward you can't reward that kind of terrorism with silence wow that's i mean that's just incredibly brave i i don't i don't personally think i have any other option um you know i want i a lot of this stuff for me, there's like a selfish part of it. And I think sometimes as activists, you know, we come across as a little self-sacrificing. It's, but this is this is about my world and the environment I want to live in. This is about my family and my friends and what they need um, and, and what they deserve. So selfishly, I will I will tolerate nothing less than than um, than reproductive justice. And so selfishly a little bit, uh, I I'm absolutely going, you know, all in. And I'm all in too. I mean, this is, this is really a question of, you know, what wins in the end. And absolutely there are safety threats to being involved in this work. But I also want to be cognizant of the fact that, A, as a white woman, I have uh, considerably more safety in doing this work than my co-founder and co-director Pamela does. But B, that the people who are really getting targeted here and there's not near enough pay attention, attention paid to it are the providers themselves, abortion doctors who are facing an onslaught of death threats. I'll never forget a few years ago when I was organizing and stood vigil outside Dr. Carhart's clinic in Germantown, Maryland, for over a week straight, stood so much I got shin splints 
um, Operation Rescue had said, hey, we're going to do a second Summer of Mercy. Um, A little background for listeners who don't know. So Operation Rescue is a terrorist group that's uh, run by Troy Newman these days. Um, they, They barricaded Dr. Tiller's clinic before he was murdered in Wichita, Kansas, under the Summer of Mercy banner uh, long ago, and they declared a couple years ago that they tar- that they were targeting Dr. Carhart. The implication was pretty clear, um, and it's a really dangerous message to leave out there. That hey, this is this is another doctor who offers abortions later in pregnancy, and there was extremely violent and hateful rhetoric. There was guns chalked on the sidewalk, and it said. What if we used guns? I could go on and on with examples of the horrible things that I saw outside that clinic, but there was a moment, and I could almost tear up, I'm so angry to this day, where the police actually left when the doctor was inside his clinic at night, and there, were, there was a patient inside, and the, the anti-choicers had actually bought, it was in a in a complex where there were, it was like townhomes. So there was an, another office across the way and the anti-choicers had, of course, set up rent there because they were walking around and offering people granola bars because then, of course, you can't get your procedure if you accept it and you've just eaten. Um, but it was the end of the night. It was very tense. The police had left and there were these these people who'd come in from all over the country and Dr. Carhart needed to be walked out to his car about 40 feet and about, and there were people, you know, right over there, people who we feared may be violent. And we made a decision to surround him and walk him back to his car. And I remember thinking through in my mind, gee, I hope nothing happens, but I am so proud to stand here and, and protect him right now. Mm -hmm. Oh man, I'm following you anywhere. Both of you. Um, I only have a couple more questions on this. One is I know that there's a big new push to repeal Hyde. Can you talk, tell us anything about that, and will you be involved in that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love a succinct answer. <laughs> yes, it's the best. I mean, the Each Woman Act is fantastic. Finally, you're seeing um, proactive legislation and introduced that, you know, stands up for everyone, and it's really you know, in large part due to the leadership of our our sisters and brothers in this movement who do more of the policy side work, who are firmly committed to a left flank approach and kept working tirelessly when everyone was looking at them like they had no idea how to pass a law. And so, you know, this is ultimately how we win is we throw big ideas out there and we fight for them. So, um, we're really, really, really proud of our our allies who work on the policy side of the left flank who've been pushing this forward. And for listeners uh, who are less familiar, the Hyde Amendment is the provision that forbids the federal any federal government money for going to fund abortion, which in reality means that poor women have low or no access to abortion because it's very hard to afford them. Did I get yep. that about right? Yep. Okay. So when should we expect motion on that? Like, where is that? And and what should we be looking to you for? Well, I think, you know, the leaders, that's being led by a coalition called All Above All. And they're really the group to look to for leadership on that. We are, as a direct action group, really going to be 
more removed from the nitty gritty of policy and more towards holding people accountable. So we're certainly, I'm smiling and blinking my eyes uh, right now, we're certainly looking very interestedly and will continue to with um, folks who have not gotten on board with that and, and um, are not offering their support for full abortion funding. I think everyone in this movement knows that this is a long struggle and this is not something that's going to be passed in this session of Congress or <laughs> you know, in the immediate future. I'm trying to, I don't, you know, I hate it when people say things like it won't happen anytime soon or it won't happen in our lifetime because it's time to get rid of the self-defeating talk. But real talk, it's not going to happen in the 114. Sure. So, um, so we, we also more... live in the real world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But this is really about support, you know, and and I think the principle of the Hyde Amendment, we're certainly looking very, very, very interestedly um, at folks who think that they're defending abortion by saying, hey, um, good news, there is no federal funding for abortion. And that was a direct quote, might I say, from Representative Diana DeGette from Colorado, who co-chairs the pre- Congressional Pro-Choice Caucus. Ah. Good news that there was no federal funding for abortion. Just earlier this year, um, during the consideration of H.R. 7, the No Taxpayer Funding for Abortion Act, which would have codified Hyde, which is actually just an appropriations measure that's renewed in the budget every single year. So uh, we're certainly looking at things like that with keen interest. All right. And so here's my last question. What kind of spoilers can you give me? What what can we be looking to reproduction to be disrupting next? So I think, you know, we've been very clear about the fact that we are a direct action organization um, that is uh, is 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 on the left flank and that we are going to be uh, going out there and doing direct action in defense of abortion um, and holding people accountable. So um, one of the things that we've been watching and also keeping a keen eye on is um, how women are starting to be thrown into jail for, um, for, um, you know, miscarriages or terminating a pregnancy. Um, So we'll definitely be, looking for opportunities um, to to dive in there. And that may involve um, some direct actions I- involving the abortion pill. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. You have my attention. I think you probably <laughs> have the attention of our listeners. Um, if folks want to get involved, how can they let you know? How can they sign up to get the bat signal? Well, they can... Uh, go to reproaction.org. Um, they can also follow us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. And we also have a blog on Tumblr and, of course, Facebook. Um, but I definitely encourage everybody listening to go to reproaction.org and sign up for our emails. Yay! And do you have a question for our listeners to discuss on Twitter and elsewhere? Yeah, one thing that we're really interested in is generating and starting discussion and not being prescriptive, but rather, you know, encouraging the voices of brilliant activists. So one thing we'd love people to weigh in on is what would you like to see the reproductive justice movement achieve in your community? Amazing. So listeners, if you are listening, 
all three of us want to hear from you. On Twitter, you can use the YMY hashtag, as in yes means yes. Um, you can also tweet at anyone or all of us. I am at Jacqueline F on Twitter. Um, probably best to tweet at your ReproAction handle. Is, is that just ReproAction on Twitter? Yep, ReproAction on Twitter. Okay. Um, or you can email me. You can email me at YMY at JacquelineFriedman.com. Um, and I may ask if I can read your comment on air, but I won't do it if you don't say yes, because I like consent. Um, and I will definitely pass it on to Pamela and Erin. Um, how else can they get in touch with you with the answer to that question? Yeah, I mean, oh, go ahead. Come on over on our website and, you know, you can get hooked up there. We're actually going to be hosting a webinar on August 26th that's going to um, feature a discussion about this state of the moment. So that's another great place to join in. You can sign up for that on our website. Awesome. So on the day this airs, that's going to be literally tomorrow from when we're running this. So get on over there. Um, Awesome. So are y'all ready to help out a listener? Sure thing. Okay. So this is a tough one. Um, This comes to us via scarletine.com, which is a wonderful, I'm sure the two of you know, a wonderful sexuality education website for young people and all of us, really. Um, And we sometimes help out their listener questions. Uh, And so this listener writes in, There's a guy I see frequently, we're in a small major together in school and we live in the same dorm, who has sexually harassed a number of girls in my group of friends. And now recently, one of my friends told me that he raped her a year ago. The statute of limitations has passed. I don't trust him. Most of my friends and I do what we can to avoid him. However, my roommate slash close friend started dating him four months ago. She knows about his bad behavior toward her friends. She knew about it when she started dating him. Maybe she doesn't believe it. Maybe she doesn't care. She refuses to listen to their claims that she's dating an asshole. Knowing about this guy's general creepiness and having seen this friend disappear almost completely from our social circle to spend all her free time alone with him makes me worry he is abusing slash manipulating slash being an asshole to her. I've been told that often people put up with abusive relationships because they feel they have no social support outside the abuser. So the very last thing we, her friends, should do is let her disappear. In case she is being emotionally manipulated slash abused slash whatever, I want to show her that she has a network of friends other than him who care about her and support her. She won't spend time with friends without him, though, and none of us, especially not the people he's harassed and abused, want to be around him. What do you recommend I do? So this is a terrible question and it's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And I can relate to this to an extent. Um, I was in an abusive marriage in my early twenties. And I remember my best friend telling me that her husband had said that he could no longer stomach being around my husband at the time, knowing what a jerk he was to me. And one thing that I think is really important, I appreciate the letter writers um, wanting to not further isolate her friend. And one of the most important things that you can do is stay there and stay a friend. You know, what you really need when you're in that situation is someone who doesn't further isolate you, it's someone who you know that you can call when you need them later if that moment comes. And, you know, because 
having been in an abusive situation before, I can say that, you know, a lot of times you're not ready to have that discussion with your loved ones, with your friends. But at that urgent moment when you are, the last thing you need is someone who's turned their back, back on you before. So, I mean, honestly, I would say if the price of being around her means that you have to be around him, I might not grin and bear it, but speak only to her. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have a, a lot to add to that um, other than that I, I also think if, if that is something that you are not in a position to do um, because it, you know, if it's not something you're, you're able to do because of your own self-care um, or your friends aren't able to do because of their um, self-care, then try to find ways um, to communicate that might possibly be more one-on-one. And I know that's a struggle, but, you know, sometimes you know, you can, you can say so much just with a simple text that says, I'm thinking about you and let me, you know, give me a call if you can talk or, um, I'm, I'm just missing you. And in those little, those little communications that remind your friend of what Aaron said, which is that you're still there, even though you might not be in the room, you're still there. And that if, if that critical moment comes, that you will pick up that phone call and have her back or have your friends back. I think that's so important. But I also think the other dynamic here is sort of not, not sanctioning abusers in the friend group, which is, I think equally important. So I, I support the listener and her friends in saying, we do not want to be around him. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to say that really clearly too. Um, And I also, you know, I also want to say, like, you can't help people who don't want help. So she had all this information before she even started dating him. Who knows why she decided to date him anyway? That's that's impossible to guess at unless she were to actually talk to you about it. I absolutely think if you're willing and able to stay in touch the way that Pamela and Aaron said um, and sort of say to her, like, I love you. That's not going to change. I can't be around him, but please don't be confused. I'm still your friend. Like, um, you know, that's, I think the best you can do, like, because you can't, I mean, the sucky part of this is you can't make other people's decisions for them. Yeah. (laughs) That's the hardest part about helping somebody in a situation like this. Erin, I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, um, but can you talk a little bit about what, h- how you became ready to make a different decision at some point or, um, you know, sort of so that this person can have an understanding of why someone might decide to stay at least for a period of time? Yeah. Um, so when this first started, this the abusive marriage started on the sixth night of my honeymoon. And I remember standing there in shock and thinking, there's no way that I can be a person in an abusive marriage. So it actually becomes like this self-perpetuating thing that you think that if you admit it to the outside world, then it's real. And I really wanted to fix it. Um, so that was a piece of it. Actually, ironically, what saved me and it is uh, is actually the same thing that radicalized me and brought me into the movement 
for justice and liberation. Um, and that is that I nearly died of an eating disorder when I was in high school and early college. And my abuser, um, while he used threats of physical violence, while he belittled me constantly, while he spit in my face, while he shattered the glass clock on the wall and there was blood everywhere, all of these things in my own mind didn't flip until he started to call me fat. Wow. I was anorexic and I knew I had, I would be dead if I hadn't overcome that message and built up an ironclad resistance to it. And that was like the click for me. All of a sudden I looked at him and I was like, oh my God, you're trying to kill me. Because in my own mind, every time I thought I was fat, I would talk back to, as part of my recovery, I would talk back to my eating disorder and say, shut up, you're trying to kill me. And I realized, oh my God, you're trying to kill me. And that was the first step that led into, you know, both going to therapy and then ultimately making the decision to leave. It was a very messy, long, drawn out process of leaving. And I don't want to pretend like it was easy. I went back. Um, and it, I, to this day, um, you know, I think, I think many outsiders would look in and judge me. And the only reason why I've chosen to start speaking about this, which I actually only did uh, for the first time in response to uh, the way Janae Rice was being received after the Ray Rice videos were released, is that I realized that, you know, we, and by we, I mean the very common people all over the place, both women and men who have experienced uh, intimate partner violence or family violence, are made to believe that there's something wrong with us and that we can you know, single-handedly changed the situation. And it's important to, you know, acknowledge the messiness of these relationships and that I certainly as well wasn't a perfect victim. Well, and there are no perfect victims. Um, and, and that's why what I appreciate about this letter writer is her patience with her friend, right? Like, I think a lot of people would be really pissed and and have the right to be and I think it's very generous of her to be thinking even though my friend has chosen to associate with this person who makes her friend circle very uncomfortable and has hurt some of them you know her concern is like how can I be most helpful to this friend who may need me in the future while still maintaining my boundaries and I think honestly the fact that you're framing the question in that way um makes me feel like you're such you're going to be such a great friend to this person like you're already doing it absolutely yeah i mean it's just hard right like it's just it sucks and i sort of want to acknowledge that too right like it may not sound super comforting for me to say you're already doing it because it's clearly dissatisfying what you're already doing or you wouldn't have written this letter um but yeah so just know like supporting somebody who's not ready to be helped in this situation is it's just hard and sucky. And the uh, the last thing I would say is like, get some support for yourself if you need. Like you can call rape crisis hotlines or, or DV hotlines if you feel like you need someone to talk to as the supporter or just talk amongst your friends, right? Or, or whatever is supportive to you or go online, find people in a similar situation. Supporting somebody in crisis also can put you in a situation where you yourself need support. So don't neglect that too. Women, you're so lovely. I could hang out with you all afternoon. 
<laughs> this has been a lot of fun. Thank you again for having us on. Thank you so much for creating revolution. <laughs> um, tell people how they can find each of you individually if they want to check out your work and, you know, be in touch or follow you online. Sure. So um, this is Pamela and I am at Shark Fu on Twitter. Um, so you can uh, and I'm on Twitter a lot. So you can definitely check me out there. Yeah, and this is Aaron, and I am Aaron to the max, like Michael Jackson sings, let me take you to the max. Um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, so that's me. I'm Aaron to the max on Twitter. I have a blog. Um, I'm prolific on Twitter as well. I've earned my carpal tunnel syndrome treatment. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Be less prolific, honey. <laughs> And I'm Jacqueline F on Twitter and also also on Facebook. That's J-A-C-L-Y-N-F. Uh, you can find me at my website, which is JacquelineFriedman.com. Friedman is F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Uh, you can find the show notes for this and all of our past episodes at YesMeansYesShow.com. Uh, you can email me. Please email me at Y-M-Y, as in yes means yes, at JacquelineFriedman.com. Send on your advice questions for me and a future guest to help you out with. Send on ideas for future guests or topics you'd like to hear me talk about uh, on future episodes. Love to hear what you think of the show. Uh, that's all we have for this week. Until next time, we're wishing you safe and happy sex lives. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.